Welcome to the Ready to Buy podcast. The podcast for busy young professionals like you to help get yourself and keep yourself ready to buy your dream home. Series one is for all of you looking to buy your first home. And whether that's next week, next month, or even next year, we'll walk you through the process and help you build your knowledge, your understanding, and your confidence really help ensure that you have a plan in place and that you're ready to buy when you want to be. The Ready to Buy podcast is brought to you by me, Mark Humphrey of MHC Mortgage and Protection Limited. And with over 20 years of experience in the mortgage industry, we help and support people like you buy their homes on a daily basis. We are passionate about making the process simple, easy, hassle and stress-free for all of our clients and we'll be sharing our knowledge, experience and loads of useful hints and tips throughout the series. We'd love you to get in touch if you'd like some help with your own situation and you can find us at mhcmortgages.co.uk. And to make sure you never miss an episode, you can subscribe using any podcast app out there, including of course Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Amazon. Welcome to today's episode, Buying Your First Home in Summary. Today I'm going to talk about and bring together everything that we've discussed throughout Season 1. So talking you through right from the very start when you think that you want to buy your first home, all the way through to picking your keys up, having your name above the door and beyond. In understanding where you start, First things first, let's get all of your options on the table. Let's understand all of your options. And that's where we've said that finding a whole of market mortgage broker to help guide you and navigate you through the whole process is really crucial to this. Yes, you can go to your bank, but simply they will be able to tell you how they can help. They'll offer you the rates that they can offer. And as we keep saying, Every lender looks at you through an ever so slightly different lens when it comes to mortgage lending, and they'll have their own criteria. And so what you may be able to do with one, you simply won't with another. And it may be a huge difference in the amount that you can actually borrow between, let's say, your bank and another bank. A whole of market mortgage broker will be able to have access to the whole market. And that will include all of the banks and building societies that you're familiar with, from the high street, along with lots and lots of other specialist lenders that may be able to help. At those very early stages too, you're going to put your plan together. And again, that's something that your broker will help you with. And in determining what you can afford, so what type of property you can buy, in what area, a couple of key things there. How much are you going to need to put in? How much are you going to need to save? Or if you're lucky enough to have money gifted to you by a close family or a combination of those, how much deposit are you going to need? But also, how much are the buying costs? And that's something that's really important to understand because you may not, if you do it yourself, you may not have factored in all of these costs. So we've talked those through in an earlier episode, but it would include things like conveyance or solicitor costs, the stamp duty, if applicable. Thankfully, many, many first-time buyers get relief on stamp duty, so may pay a reduced amount or may not pay any at all. 
You may choose to have a more detailed survey than the lender's required basic survey, in which case there will be additional costs. There may be costs involved with the mortgage product, maybe a mortgage broker fee. And let's face it, when you move into a new property, even if it is brand spanking new, there may be decoration that you want to do. And certainly I'd imagine there's going to be furniture that you're going to need. If you're living at home with family, for example, you may have very little or no furniture, in which case you're going to need to deck it out. So there's going to be quite a bit for you to have up front. But also when we're talking what you can afford, just because a mortgage lender might lend you a certain amount, it's also looking at the monthly payments and factoring in everything. So not just your monthly mortgage payments that that would bring, but things like council tax, utility bills, gas, electric, water, all of those types of things that you may not have had to pay before. And so it's really looking carefully at your budget and understanding what you can afford. And from there, how much can you actually borrow? And we've already said that different lenders will look at you through a different lens. So ascertaining who's going to lend you what can really start to drill down on what your best options are and how much you can borrow, which coupled with your deposit, what can you afford, what type of property and where. Now, in an ideal world, you'd buy simply with your mortgage and your deposit. It may be that you need extra help. So we've talked through the government schemes, the help to buy equity loan scheme, the shared ownership scheme, whereby the government give you a little bit of a leg up and help. The help to buy equity loan scheme, whereby they'll lend you on an interest-free basis, either 20% or 40% of the value of the property. So it just means that you don't have to put so much in or ultimately mean that you can afford a property which is of a greater value and may make the difference between being able to buy or not buy. Naturally, there will be a point in the future where you'd look to either repay this loan through selling the property or being able to raise additional funds to pay off this loan. Please be aware the equity loan is interest-free for the first five years after which interest will be payable. It's a shorter term option, as is a shared ownership, best described as part buy, part rent. So you own a percentage of the property, you rent the remaining part, and the idea is at some stage in the future you buy further shares or you sell the property and clear that and move to another. We also talk through the guarantor type mortgage, whereby a close family member, such as a parent or both parents, may help you with a joint borrower sole proprietor mortgage where they would go on to the mortgage with you they could use their income to help you borrow more but wouldn't be on the deed so wouldn't own the property it would simply be you owning the property and at some stage in the hopefully near future as your career progresses your income increases you'd be able to take the mortgage on in your own right so that plan is really crucial at the early stages really just to understand what you can do. And I would certainly recommend doing that before you start looking at properties and looking at homes, just so that you can be realistic in your search. We next talked about getting yourself as presentable as possible as well. And a really good way to look at it would be to look at it the other way. Would you lend yourself money based on what lenders can see, which will tend to be things like your bank statements, your credit file, and basic information about your situation? And you can really help yourself by making yourself as presentable as possible. And it isn't necessarily one thing that's going to make a big difference. It's going to be lots of little things that can make those marginal gains, which then add up to a, a bigger difference. 
your credit file is something that you can keep as neat and tidy as possible. As a first-time buyer, you simply will not have a mortgage to evidence that you can borrow a large amount of money and make that large monthly payment each month and pay it back on time. So the next best thing is to show that you can maintain credit. So whether you've got a loan, car finance, a credit card, store card, or a combination of those, make sure all on direct debits that you pay them on time. If you've got credit cards, don't max out your limits. Try and reduce those balances. Get your minimum payment set on a direct debit. So it's going to take it every month. So it's never going to be recorded as a late payment. So that's your credit file. In terms of your bank statements as well, your bank statements tell a hell of a lot about how you conduct your finances, probably more than anything out there. Get those as neat and tidy as possible. If you're serious about buying a new home, it's a big commitment. Show some commitment by cutting back on your spending on things like takeaways, nights out, clothes, all those types of things that are great and there'll be time to do those again, but just cutting back just to show that you're responsible. And actually, some of that money you can put towards either increasing your deposit or it might be that you can start to reduce some of your credit card balances and things like that if you've got them. And getting your documents ready as well is so important. We've spoke at length about that. Don't leave it to the last minute to have pay slips ready. Bank statements is another one. A lot of us might look at our mobile phone internet banking app on on our phone. It may not provide us with bank statements there, and we may not have login details to go into our computer and access PDF copies of our bank statements. Get that all sorted. Get your password sorted. Make sure you can access your bank statements quickly and easily. So you're not then messing around having to go into a branch to get them printed out. I hear that so often that people are going to have to leave it to the weekend to go into a bank to get statements printed out because they haven't got time or can't get to a branch during the week. It's simple. Organize yourself. We've all got mobile phones. We've all got access to laptops, computers, that sort of thing. Have them ready. And also on that topic, understanding your credit file and your credit score as well. You've made yourself as presentable as possible. You've tidied up and made sure that your credit file is nice and tidy and you've got your plan in place. So before you start looking at properties, the next step I would suggest is to get your agreement in principle, otherwise known as a decision in principle, a DIP, D-I-P or an AIP, all different terminology for the same thing. Essentially, this is something that your broker can get for you or a lender can provide if you decide to do it yourself. And it's the lender running a credit score on you. So it's pulling your information from your credit file. It's giving them some basic information. And they're agreeing in principle that they would be happy to lend you X amount of pounds. And they'll provide you with a piece of paper to confirm this. Two things. It gives you confidence that you can borrow the amount that you need. And it gives an estate agent and the seller confidence that you're good for the money. When you go and start looking at properties, and start viewing and want to put an offer in. You may well find at the moment, estate agents will actually want to see that before they even let you go and view a property. So really important to have. And sometimes in conjunction with your proof of deposit, so your savings account statement, for example, between those two, it shows that the mortgage plus the deposit that you can evidence both documents, that essentially you are good for the money and you could feasibly, incredibly put an offer in for that property. And so when you're going to start looking for a home, let's be honest, I think most of us will be in that situation where 
if we've got to this stage, it's highly likely you've had a good look at Rightmove or Zoopla or one of the property sites and had a good look round to see what's available in the area. And that's absolutely fine. Now, before you even start going and looking at properties, we spoke with Andy Playstow, uh, Robinson Michael Jackson estate agents, who said, do your research before you even start going out and looking at properties. So with the tools you've got available now on the likes of Rightmove or the agent's websites, you've got things like the floor plan, so you can work out exactly how the property's laid out. You've got photos, you've got video tours, virtual tours, those types of things. So you can actually get a really good feel for the property inside. But also, do your research on the local area as well. You've got street maps, Google street maps. You can have a look up and down the street. There's nothing to stop you visiting the area. If you know the area well, great. If you don't, there's nothing wrong with asking people that you know in that area just to get a good feel. So that way, it really minimizes any surprises you might have when you actually view the properties. So a really key bit, now you're ready to go and have a look at some houses or some properties, is to speak with the agents and get registered with the agents. Although you'll see properties that they market on their sites, they'll have some in the pipeline as well. So they'll have some that they know about that haven't gone onto the market. So if you've had a conversation with them, if you've registered with them, explain your situation as well. As a first-time buyer, you'll be very attractive to a seller because you're not in a position where you've got to sell anything else. You're what they describe as the end of chain. So you're going to be very attractive and it's most likely that you'll be able to move quickly, which is one of the big requirements for somebody selling. So you may well find some of these properties that haven't gone to the market yet, if they know that that's the type of thing you're looking for, you may even be able to get a viewing before it goes live and goes out to the wider public, which, as you can imagine, puts you in a really strong position. Now, this bit, I can't emphasize this enough. You're buying for the first time. It's a really, really, really big deal. Try and enjoy it. Really try and enjoy it because it should be such a positive experience. And I'm really adamant that it shouldn't be stressful. And be open-minded as well. I think we'd all love to move into a home that everything's done and we can go in there, live in there, haven't got to do anything. But actually, sometimes we have to be a bit realistic about the budget that we have, maybe. Or if we want to live in the particular area we're looking at, we may have to make a compromise on the house. As we said, things like the layout are things that are a little bit more set in stone than the decor. So try and look past things like decor. And if there is a bit of work, then understand what that work might be. You can take somebody with you. You can have second viewing. You can take a builder, that sort of thing, to understand if there is work. What is that going to cost? Does it need doing now? Could it be something a bit more of a project, but certainly livable now? And so when you find the one, and it's really funny to try and describe it, other than to say that when you walk into the house that is the one, you tend to know. You tend to know that it's got a really good feel and it just feels right. I would say don't rush into things. So don't just see the first house and just run with it. Wise to at least see two or three. When you know, when it's the one, when you're happy that you want to put the offer in, then you'll need to speak with the agent. Hopefully you'll have already opened lines of communication anyway. You'll have registered with them and you put your offer forward. Now, the selling agent has to put your offer forward to the seller as well. I would encourage you to ask as many questions at that point as possible as well. So it may just be a case of what is their situation. They might have already told you at that point. So are they part of a bigger chain? Are they moving somewhere else? Are they end of chain where they're moving? You know, it's a second property and they're just looking to sell it. 
in which case it may be that things can move quicker. What are their priorities? So are they looking to move quickly, in which case it could be in your favor because you haven't got anything to sell? Those types of conversations are great. You may find that there's some negotiation there, particularly if there are other people interested in the property. You may find they come back and suggest that you maybe have to get it if you up your offer to X amount. So be flexible there, but don't be reckless. Once they've accepted the offer, they'll come back and confirm it's accepted. And before they actually take the property off the market, it's likely that they'll want to do their due diligence. So if they haven't already, they may ask for your agreement in principle, certificate, your proof of deposit, some ID, a few things like that. As we said before, have it all ready, and then it's a case of providing it to them. If they can do that quickly, usually within a day or so, they can then take it down or mark it as sold subject to contract on their website so it stops any other interested parties coming in and putting offers in and getting involved. The estate agent will then quickly draw up the memorandum of sale. And so that's a usually one or two page document, and it simply has your details along with your mortgage broker's details and your solicitor details or your conveyancer and it will have the seller's own details as well so their details and the details of their seller and the memorandum of sale will come to you or go to the seller and your respective solicitors so essentially it's informing all parties that an agreement's been made it will confirm the purchase price and it will allow both solicitors to start to open up lines of communication and really get the ball rolling So big milestone this, you found your home, you've had your offer accepted, and now things start to pick up pace and move at speed. Definitely not a silly question. Each episode, we like to answer a question that I might have been asked by a client this week, because something that we don't know, no matter how big or small, particularly when it comes to money, mortgages and finance, will cause unnecessary stress. So I say to all of my clients, there really genuinely are no silly questions. And so the question this week I've been asked, is it worth me paying for a mortgage broker to help me with my mortgage when I think I could probably do it all myself? Good question. And the answer to that is yes, you can do it yourself. Absolutely. And a lot of people do. Equally, a lot more people enlist the help of a mortgage broker because contrary to some people's beliefs being a mortgage broker is not just about helping you get that mortgage and just picking the cheapest rate it really is a lot more involved in that and we will have a whole podcast episode about this but essentially you're enlisting the help of somebody that's going to hold your hand metaphorically of course but going to hold your hand throughout the whole process so like we've done throughout the whole series They're going to talk you through how it works from the very start all the way through. They're going to look at lenders from across the market rather than just one. They're going to help you put a plan in place and they're going to liaise with the solicitor as you go through. They're going to be on hand to answer any questions. Ultimately, they're there to help improve and de-stress the experience for you. So I would highly recommend for a relatively small cost. For example, at MHC Mortgages, we charge just £199 mortgage broker fee, and that's only payable at mortgage offer stage. So once the mortgage is actually being approved further down the line. So I think that represents great value in terms of the peace of mind and knowing that you've ended up with the most appropriate mortgage for you, rather than one that you've simply gone to your bank for. 
So if you have a question you'd like to ask, anything at all, please get in touch through my LinkedIn page, I'm Mark Humphrey, or via the MHC Mortgages page on Facebook. Not only will I come back to you nice and quickly with an answer, but I promise to try and share your question in future episodes because you can be sure if you're thinking that question, there'll be plenty of other people thinking exactly the same questions. Now, there are a couple of things that I need to tell you as we're talking money and mortgages. It's important to seek advice for your own individual circumstances, okay? And whilst it might seem really obvious, a mortgage is a loan secured on your home, and your home may be repossessed if you don't keep up your mortgage payments. So in other words, if you have a mortgage or when you get a mortgage, pay it on time, you'll be fine. So two main things that happen here. So one, you need to get the mortgage sorted and going. That tends to be the quicker part of the process. So from this point through of having your offer accepted through to picking your keys up and being the new owner of the property, on average, I'd say it's about three months. It can take less, it can take more. And a big determinant of that will be the legal work involved and if there's any chain. The more people involved in a chain, the more potential for delay. So it could take a bit longer. So firstly, the mortgage. I would say on average, certainly for us at MHC Mortgages, we find that we have a mortgage offer within two or three weeks. What it involves is you'll go back to your mortgage broker to confirm that you've had your offer accepted. You'll provide them with the property details and the agreed purchase price. Your broker, depending on how much time has lapsed between when they originally researched your options and now, they may ask for updated documentation. So payslips, bank statements, that type of thing. And they'll ask to see your proof of deposit as well. You'll get that together if you've not already got it. As we said, being as organized as possible, you can get that straight across. They'll update their research. Even though they may have obtained your agreement in principle with one lender, they may not be the most appropriate for you at this point in time or the most competitively priced of those lenders available to you. So that research will update that. They'll present that back to you, explain and discuss with you and agree the next steps. So that might be agreeing upon the most appropriate type of rate for you, the mortgage terms, so how long you're going to borrow it over, all those types of things before then submitting a mortgage application to the chosen lender. The mortgage lender, essentially, before they provide the mortgage offer, there's three main things that they'll need to satisfy. One is they'll want to review the information provided about you, which your broker will provide. If you do this yourself, then again, that will be the information you provide. They'll want to review your documents, which are going to include your payslips and bank statements, etc. And they'll want to check the property out. So they'll organize for a basic survey to be done. A surveyor will visit the property in most cases. Sometimes it can be done remotely now. A lot depends on the amount of data they have about your particular area, but also the size of your deposit that you're putting in. And once that's back, once they've satisfied all three, they'll produce the mortgage offer. And the mortgage offer is the big part that says the money's there, the mortgage is agreed. The next thing that your mortgage lender will hear will be from your solicitor saying, can we have the money? The other part is the conveyancer or the solicitor. The conveyancer is a solicitor that does the legal work involved in the buying and the selling of property. 
at this point, you will have already chosen your solicitor. A couple of bits of advice when choosing a solicitor or conveyancer. Take recommendations. This bit is so crucial to get right, to get one that is proactive, that's responsive if you've got queries, and that is just good to work with and communicates well. So get recommendations. It's likely that your mortgage broker will work with one or a number that they can recommend. You may have had friends or family that have used one or a family member that is one that's highly recommended. Again, that's a really good sign. Do your research on this. So look at reviews. You can be pretty sure if there's lots of reviews and common themes in there, i.e. good communicator, great experience, or the flip side, then it's going to be a really good indication of how well you're going to get treated. But I can't emphasize enough how important it is to make sure you get a good one because that can really make or break your experience. And don't just go with the cheapest as well. So there are a number of panel solicitors out there, which I'd almost describe as sort of factory solicitors where it's a big production line and it's quite hard often to get hold of your dedicated case manager. And they tend to be a fair bit cheaper But in terms of the experience, and particularly if you've got something that is slightly unusual or needs a bit more care and attention, it can be quite a difficult process. So communication is key, and you don't always get it from these guys. The conveyancing process can take anywhere. I mean, I've seen it from as little as a month. That's not usual. But on average, it's two and a half to three months. But it can take longer, as we said, if there are others involved in the chain, which can throw up more questions. The key bit is for you to do your bit and do it quickly. So your solicitor will get the contract pack from the seller's solicitor and they'll review that. They will go back and forth with any questions to that part. They will also send you out a questionnaire at the start and a request for a few bits of info and documentation. So the questionnaire is just finding out a bit more about you, more about your situation, requirements. They'll ask you if there's a particular completion date that you're looking to work towards. It's not set in stone, but it's just to give them a really good feel for what you're looking to do. They'll ask for some identification from you. You may well find that your mortgage broker can provide that to them because they'll already have that, along with some proof of deposit. Again, your broker should be able to help with that as well. Bit of work for you to do at the start in terms of filling the questionnaire out. There may be a few questions that they come back with as they start to review the information. And your solicitor will request the searches at as an earlier stage as possible. Now, the searches will be local searches, environmental, water, drainage. Essentially, they're doing their due diligence on the property and the local area. And if, for example, there is plans to build an industrial estate down the road, things like that, they'll check it out and make sure that you're aware. So you know what you're buying and you know what's likely to happen in the near future in the local area to make sure that there's no detrimental effect on the property. So this part can take a few weeks for these searches to come through. And once they come back, your solicitor, again, they'll review them and they'll report back to you. And these are all the bits that take the time. But once all these things are ironed out, we can start to work towards an exchange date and completion date. And they'll liaise with the seller solicitor about this and start to give you an idea. May not confirm it, but they'll start to give you an idea, which really helps you in terms of understanding what's happening and where. We've spoken about the importance of protecting yourselves and your loved ones, and there tends to be a bit of a lull in proceedings at this stage. So all the busyness of going and searching for your home, finding your home, organising the mortgage application, 
having a survey done, providing documents, filling out the legal paperwork, all those bits feel like you're doing quite a lot. Then all of a sudden, things are going on behind the scenes that you're not seeing. So it's likely you're being updated every week by your mortgage broker who will tend to liaise with your solicitor as well. But this is the ideal time to organize things like your protection. So tend to be three main areas, like we said, and for more detail, please go back and listen to the previous episodes. When it comes to protecting ourselves, all of our priorities will differ from each other because our situations are all different. Protecting yourself against death. So of course, you wouldn't be here, heaven forbid, if you passed away, but your loved ones would be. And if you've got anybody that relies on you financially, your partner, for example, if you've got children or both, then having some life cover that could clear the mortgage, that could provide a regular income to replace some of your income as you're no longer here is absolutely vital. Secondly, protecting your income because your income is what pays the mortgage, pays the bills, puts food on the table, maintains your lifestyle. You may have some or plenty of protection through your employer if you're employed. You may not. So we see both ends of the spectrum So understanding what your options are and having something in place that could replace some or a large proportion of your income to help maintain your lifestyle, pay your mortgage, and really just take the pressure off if something bad happened, such as an accident, a serious or long-term illness, is so, so important. The third is to look at giving you choices if something serious or critical happened. So something like a cancer, a heart attack, stroke that could impact you significantly either for a period of time and then making a full recovery or impacting you where you never made a full recovery. So having a lump sum could really take the pressure off. And unfortunately, things happen. So considering all of these things at this point is so important just to make sure things are in place. It's far easier to think about those things now than worry if something does happen and you've got nothing in place and worrying about paying a mortgage in these dire straits and at these awful times. And so we're moving on towards our completion. So our solicitors liaise with the seller solicitor. They confirm the exchange date. That's the point where you become legally bound to proceed and buy the property. And also it's likely a completion date will be set soon after. It might be a couple of days after, might be a week, might be a little bit longer afterwards. And that's really quite normal. But at this stage, it's really exciting, but you can really make things easy for yourself or easier, shall we say, and reduce stress by doing a bit of preparation for things. So not just the obvious things like starting to pack your things, because of course that is important, but there's a number of things that you can do as well that will make things a lot smoother. With your new home, go and visit it a couple of times, just so that you get familiar with it, that maybe you can build a rapport with the seller. I've had this a few times where it's so much easier if you can get the insight into a property. Every property's got its own little quirks and things. And so understanding, even down to how the boiler works, where all the electric unit, the gas, the water, the stopcock is, which keys work what, the burglar alarm, all those types of things will make it a lot easier rather than when you get in the house wondering, ah, don't know where these are, don't know what to do. Go and have a look at the property, measure up as well in plenty of time. So you've got the floor plan. What I tend to do is print out the floor plan and just go with the tape measure and just measure up the rooms. Because if you're buying beds, furniture, sofas, freezers, things like that, you want to make sure that you're buying things that are actually going to fit in there. And believe me, 
if you've not done it before, you'll think I can just buy a sofa. Things like Amazon, it'll probably be here tomorrow. Sofas and beds, things like that can take weeks or even months. So being a bit organized with that. And as we said throughout the podcast, you don't necessarily need to have brand new everything. So if you've got family and friends that can help out and lend you things, then I would say take advantage of that if you can. It will certainly keep costs down. The internet is something as well I got caught out on. We're all so reliant on internet these days. Organize the connection of that as soon as you can. You might well find that's three or four weeks away being able to book a slot for an engineer to come in. I assumed it could be switched on remotely. Apparently it couldn't. Had to send somebody around to switch it on and get it all set up and ready, even though you'd think it was already there and what have you. So get that organized. Organize your addresses as well. You'll need to change addresses. If you're anything like me, I've got dozens of addresses that I need to change for various things. Get yourself a spreadsheet and that can then be useful in the future. Just know who you need to change and then it's just a simple case of working through them as and when your purchase goes through. And sort your removals. Now, it may be that if you're buying for the first time, if you haven't got any furniture, actually, you couldn't even get things in your car. It might mean that you need a van. That's certainly the way we did it. But if you've got a lot of furniture and you need removal people to help, get those booked in, particularly in peak times. It can be really difficult to find good removal companies that have got capacity when you want it. And speak with your employer as well. Again, if you're employed, just give them a bit of a heads up that this is the situation that you are moving. You think this is going to be the date. Ask them for a bit of flexibility if they can, just in case the dates change. But try and get at least a few days off. It will really take the stress off rather than trying to move around work if you're actually working. When exchange date arrives, your solicitor will confirm you don't need to sign anything on the day. That's already been taken care of. But your solicitor will drop you a call, drop you an email just to confirm you've exchanged. So you're now legally bound to buy the property. You will need to have your buildings insurance in place at the time if that's applicable to you. So if you're buying a freehold property, for example, the rationale behind that is because you're legally bound to buy, the seller isn't legally bound to insure the property after exchange of contracts. In reality, most of the time they will be, but there's no guarantee. So if something happened between exchange of contracts and completion, then even if both of you have got cover, it's better than none of you having cover. As you can imagine, that could end in disaster. It's also sensible because you're now legally bound to buy the property to start your protection. So things like life cover, you're protecting income. If you've got cover to protect you against a serious or critical illness for a lump sum, for example, get that started now. For the sake of a few days, it's unlikely anything's going to happen between now and completion, but don't chance it. It's really not worth it. And so fast forward a few days, potentially. So to your completion date, your solicitor will be in touch, hopefully as early in the day as possible. The mortgage lender will have released the mortgage funds the day before completion. You will have actually provided a large chunk, if not all of your deposit at exchange of contracts. If there was any outstanding, you'll have provided that before completion. And your solicitor would have sent the mortgage funds along with your deposit across to the seller's solicitor. Once your solicitor gets the call from the seller solicitor to confirm that the money is received and completion is confirmed, then you'll get the nod and you will then be able to go and pick up the keys, which in most cases it tends to be with the estate agent. So if you've already agreed this in advance, you'll go into the estate agent like I did this year, pick up an envelope and it's that exciting journey to your new home and you can go, 
and it's all yours. So this is the bit that we've been working towards. This is probably the thing that you've been thinking about for weeks, months, or even years. So it's such a big deal. And so you're going to move your things in. As we said in the last couple of episodes, you may want to go in and give it a really good clean before you even start moving in. And just taking care of some of the smaller admin bits as well. So get yourself a meter reading. So for your gas, your electric, your water, that's on a meter, get those things done early. Take a picture on your phone just so you've literally got it there, even if you don't submit the reading, just so you're not then forgetting, which I've done in the past, and then potentially costing you more in the future. Having a few days off to allow you to do it in your own time as well is great. And you can start to change your addresses. You've already got your list, so it's going to be relatively straightforward. You already understand about the property and how the boiler works and the keys and all those things. So you've made it that little bit easy for yourself on moving day. Now, if you haven't already, I would recommend that you listen to the previous episode, episode 10, where I talk about some of the barriers or the perceived barriers to buying your first home as a first-time buyer. So some really good hints and tips there that may be helpful. So hopefully... That recap has been really useful and has helped you through the process. Thanks so much for listening today. I really hope that you've enjoyed the episode and found it helpful. We'd love you to join us next time when we'll be speaking with Simone, who's only just picked up her keys in the last couple of weeks for our first home. So actually, she was in your position not so long ago. In the meantime, you can help us reach and help many, many more people like yourself by leaving a five-star review on whichever platform you get your podcast and by sharing the podcast on your social media channels. So until next time, take care.